0: Well, good morning. Thank you, Dennis, for praying for us today. I'm Nick. I'm one of the pastors here. And as Dennis mentioned, our lead pastor, Chris, has been on sabbatical the past month or so. Uh, He comes back next week. And uh, the other day, Elsie and I were actually out for a walk uh, near his house. You know, you got to keep an eye on your boss when he's gone, right? And uh, I told him that now that he's coming back soon, we got to start getting to work around here. So, you know... Um, no, he's doing really well, he misses you all, and uh, he's had a good time away, and I know he's excited to, to come back uh, when his time on sabbatical is done. Well, today we are continuing on in our summer sermon series, The Gospel According to Mark. Today actually week 10 of 12, we are nearing the end. And in fact, that's exactly what our message today is about. We're in chapter 13 today, and it's all about signs of the end of the age, The end is in sight. I'm curious, how many of you have been on a road trip before? Like a long road trip. Yeah, across the country. Maybe even like you're flying to a different country and it's long flight after long flight. And uh, it's something that a lot of us have experienced before. And I don't know, there's nothing like that itching anticipation of hitting the home stretch. And you're nearing the end, and you're almost to your final destination, whether it's where you're going or when you're coming home. And you have just that excitement of like, yes, the end is in sight. We're almost there. We're almost home, or almost wherever we're going. The end is in sight, and you excitedly anticipate what it's going to be like when you get there. And then you're brought back to reality by your kid in the back seat saying for the 26th time, "Are we there yet? <laughs> Are we there yet?" That question that we often hear, do you ever find yourself asking that question when it comes to Jesus coming back? Things of heaven and eternity, are we there yet? Like, when is Jesus coming back? When are we going to get to experience that? I wonder how Jesus felt As his disciples asked him time and time again, just like kids, right? They asked him time and time again, Jesus, when is this going to happen? When are you coming back? Are we there yet? And here we still are 2,000 years later, even though they felt that it was near, we're still here asking the same question. Are we there yet? Jesus, when are you coming back? Well, to be honest, I have always had a fascination with end times and revelation I went to a Christian school for elementary, and I remember in fourth grade during our class reading time, all my friends and I decided it was going to be really cool, we were going to read the book of Revelation together. So we're all reading Revelation and talking about it, and of course we didn't understand anything it was talking about, right? What adult even does. But we were fascinated by dragons and beasts and angels and people being swallowed up in fire and all these amazing crazy things happening. Later that year, for my birthday party, it consisted of having my friends over, and we watched, in its entirety, the first two Left Behind movies. Anybody remember these? In the early 2000s, kind of those cheesy old Kirk Cameron movies? Yeah, it was awesome. Fourth grade was a good year. But End Times and Revelation, it's so fascinating, it's so interesting, and also so terrifying at times, too. But what does it really mean? What is this all about? I mean, there's all these signs and and symbols and prophecies and apocalyptic literature. Like it's so easy to get caught up in all of these things, but what's really the point? What do we do with things like this? Well, Mark 13, where we're at today, it's a conversation that Jesus has with his disciples as they're leaving the temple, the the church in Jerusalem, and the disciples are talking about how awesome this building is, and Jesus goes on to talk about the future destruction of Jerusalem and signs of the end of the age, things to come. He gives them instructions of what to do. And so if you want to turn to chapter 13 of the Gospel of Mark, that's the second book, of the New Testament. We're going to be jumping all over the chapter today, so just bear with me as we're kind of bouncing around. But we're going to start in verse 1. As he was leaving the temple, Jesus, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Isn't this amazing? Look at this beautiful building, this temple. Jesus goes, Do you see all these great buildings? Not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. Jesus is just like, squashes them, their excitement. They're like, yes, this temple is amazing. Nope, it's not going to last. It's going bye-bye. Verse 3, later, as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they're all about to be fulfilled? Skipping down to verse 7, Jesus says, when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places, and famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. And then skipping down to verse 12, he continues, he says, Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. All people will hate you because of me, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you see the abomination that causes desolation standing where it does not belong, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the roof of his house go down or enter the house to take anything out. Let no one in the field go back to get his cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that this will not take place in winter because those will be days of distress unequaled from the beginning. When God created the world until now, and never to be equaled again, if the Lord had not cut short those days, no one would survive, but for the sake of the elect whom He has chosen, He has shortened them. How are we feeling right now? Get that feel-good feeling you came to church for this morning? Such fun, exciting, uplifting stuff we have to look forward to, right? So what what's really going on here? What's the point of all this? Well, Jesus is, of course, talking about the future. Now, some of these things have already happened. So, for instance, he's talking about the temple, the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. Rome came in and destroyed the temple in Jerusalem back in 70 AD. So some of the things that Jesus is talking about, they've been fulfilled 2,000 years ago almost. However, there are still things in here that maybe haven't yet been fulfilled, have not yet been fulfilled, that are still to come. And so we can't say for sure exactly what all of this means and what it's getting at, and that's okay. Because today is not about revelation, it's not about end times, it's not about interpreting signs and symbols and knowing exactly what prophetic or apocalyptic things are being spoken here. Today is about two things. Today is about recognition and readiness. Recognition and readiness. So let's talk about recognition for a few minutes. I jump back to verse 5. I said we'd be jumping around a bunch today. Verse 5, Jesus said to his disciples, he said, Watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming I am he and will deceive many. Skipping down to verse 21, he continues, he says, At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christ and false prophets will appear and perform signs and miracles to deceive the elect, if that were possible. So be on your guard. I have told you everything ahead of time. So, this idea of recognizing Jesus, when Jesus returns, am I going to know that it's him? And I'm not so much talking about what Jesus looks like. Scripture gives us some glimpse of what that might be, but that's not really the purpose of today. When we're talking about recognizing Jesus, we're talking about listening and watching. Listening for Jesus, for the voice of Jesus. So in college, there was a summer that I spent in Ocean City, New Jersey, basically living two blocks from the beach with about 100 other college students living together, working jobs, growing in our faith together. It was really an incredible summer for our spiritual growth. And I remember with 100 of us there, there were Nine of us from U of M who went, and everybody else was strangers to me. That first night that we were gathered together, the staff leading the mission told us, they said, by the end of the summer, you're going to be able to hear a voice without seeing that person and know exactly who that voice belongs to. And I thought they were crazy. There's 100 people here. How are we going to be able to do that? But they were absolutely right. Before we even got to the end of the summer, You'd hear a voice around the corner without seeing the person and know exactly who it was. Well, why could we get to that point? Because we spent time together. We did life together. We came to recognize each other's voices because of the relationship that we all had together. Many of us have heard of the analogy of a wolf in sheep's clothing, Or Jesus, as he talks about how the devil himself masquerades as an angel of light. The devil is a liar at his core. And there are and will be many false teachers who speak truths and doctrines that do not align with who Jesus is or what scripture says. I'm not up here to call them all out by name today. But I am up here to make you aware. Do we recognize the voice of Jesus speaking You can't hope to recognize his voice without spending time with him, growing deeper in your relationship with him, getting to know him better. Because otherwise, you're going to be easily swayed. You're going to hear all these other voices that claim to be him, but they're not. And as Jesus tells us in his Sermon on the Mount, his most famous sermon, there's a lot of things he says in there, but one of the things I want to highlight today, he says in talking about people, by their fruit, you will recognize them. In other words, look at the fruit that people produce in their lives. Look at the the characteristics, the outcomes of who they are. Is it good fruit of the Spirit? Things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Or are there other things being born in their lives? Things not of God, things not of the Spirit. Now, I can't be the judge of other people. That's not my job. God is the judge, but... I do have the Holy Spirit in me to help discern the truth from the lies and the good fruit from the bad fruit. We want to surround ourselves with people speaking the truth. Do we recognize the voice of Jesus at work around us? He is the good shepherd. He uses that analogy so many times, and I love thinking about that, how the sheep listen to his voice. Jesus says that, my sheep know my voice, and they follow it. They follow me. The Apostle Paul, uh, he writes to Timothy, one of his his followers, one of his disciples, some of his final words in his last known letter. This is what he says. He says, "The time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear." Does that sound familiar at all? Think of the world around us and how easy it is to just surround ourselves with everybody who thinks alike and who says what I want to hear and who makes me feel good. And anybody who doesn't, who says things I don't like or I don't agree with or doesn't make me feel good, yep, I stay away from that. And while in some sense there's wisdom to how we go about doing that, we can't just push away the truth. Sometimes the truth is not easy to hear. It's not just about surrounding ourselves with people that say what our itching ears want to hear, but surrounding ourselves with the truth. So what is our response in this? Well, Paul kind of highlights this in the verses surrounding what we just read. This is what he tells Timothy. He says, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct Rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. You keep your head in all situations, endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist to discharge all the duties of your ministry. Now there's so many things we could highlight here and what Paul challenges Timothy to do. But what I want to highlight right now is that preach the word, do the work of an evangelist. One reason that Paul tells Timothy to do that is because when we teach someone else something. It helps us to learn it better too. Those of you who are teachers maybe can think of a time you've encouraged a student of yours to teach the content to somebody else. Maybe when you were a student or you are a student, you think of a time that your teacher's like, hey, teach this to so-and-so. You're like, what? I don't know, I don't know what this is. I don't know how to teach this. But guess what? We learn it better by teaching. We learn it better by passing it on. And the same is true with God as we share more about him with others. It helps us to grow deeper in our knowledge, in our relationship with him. It helps us to better be strengthened in our faith and to recognize the voice of Jesus. Are we listening for his voice? Are we looking for him speaking through other people around us, for the truth around us? Or are we surrounding ourselves with people who produce bad fruit? Do we recognize the voice of the good shepherd? In our lives? Are we listening for him? Are we listening to him when he speaks? Second part of recognition is watching. Watching for him. Skip down to verse 26, here still in Mark 13. It says, At that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory, and he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. Man, does this sound amazing? This is gonna be awesome. Jesus is coming back. He's gathering us up, and we're going to heaven. It's gonna be amazing. Yes, there we go. Some excitement. But how are we gonna know that it's Him? How are we gonna know that it's Him? Well, some of you may remember Brent Williams, who used to attend church here before he moved away. And I remember many, many years ago, probably like 20 years ago, uh, Brent's family was a part of our family's small group. And one thing you may or may not have known about Brent is that he was really interested in radio, towers, antennas, things of that nature. Well, the first time we're going over to his house, he didn't give us his address. He said, it's on this road. It's the house with the big antenna. Like, okay. So we're driving down the road looking at all the houses. Remember when every house had an antenna? Yeah, we're driving down looking at all the houses. Oh, that's a pretty big one. Yeah, it could be that house. Oh, maybe it's that one. That's a good-sized antenna until finally we see this house with this huge antenna towering like 80 to 100 feet into the sky. And we knew it. That's their house. There was no doubt about it. That's the one. So how do we know Jesus when he returns? We'll know him when we see him. I have no doubt about it. If we're doubting, if we're questioning, it ain't him. We will know Jesus when we see him. I truly, truly believe that. So he continues on, verse 28, he says, Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that it is near, right at the door. I tell you the truth, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. No one knows about that day or that hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Be alert. You do not know when the time will come. It's like a man going away, he leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with his assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. Now there's a a word, a phrase that gets used throughout this chapter. Maybe you've picked up on it. It's the word watch. Keep watch. Be alert. Be on guard. And it's stemming from the same Greek root word, Gregorio. That's exactly what that means, that we we keep watch, we be on guard. And really, there's not a whole lot of times we see this word in the New Testament, but most every occurrence is for one of two reasons. Either it's because of deception, keep watch, be on guard against false teachers. We just saw that earlier in this chapter here. Or the second reason is because of temptation. Think of Jesus praying with his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane right before he's arrested Keep watch with me and pray that you do not fall into temptation. And so as Jesus is saying this, as we're watching for him, as we're keeping our eyes open for his return, watching for him means that we can't fall into temptation. We can't get into the deception of the enemy. That's what he wants, that we need to stand firm in the truth as we stand on guard and watch for his return. So are we keeping watch? Are we ready for the return of Jesus? Because the last thing we want is to be caught sleeping, unaware, unready for his return. There's a lot of parables that Jesus tells along those lines, and they do not sound fun. It sounds terrifying. Are we looking for him, anticipating his arrival? Because we will know him when we see him. So one, recognition. Two, readiness. Readiness. So I'm just curious today... How many of you enjoy hosting people over at your house or you feel like you're a pretty good host? That's fine. Be honest with us. All right? So I know whose house is to come over to and whose house is not to come over to. Uh, just out of curiosity, who's willing to own they're not good at hosting or they don't enjoy hosting? Yeah, that's totally fine too, right? You all know whose house is to go over to not to. So just imagine with me for a moment, regardless of how you feel about hosting, that you are hosting someone important over at your house. They're coming over for dinner. And yes, well, who is this? Well, I'll let you decide. Who's that, that famous person, that celebrity, that person you've always wanted to meet? Imagine they're coming over to your house for dinner. Okay? So, I thought about this this week. There's lots of people I'd love to have, but I'm a huge fan of Lord of the Rings. And I would love it if the whole cast, like the main actors and actresses, would come over to my house for a dinner party. That would be amazing. If you've seen The Hobbit, hopefully it goes better than Bilbo having all the dwarves unexpectedly at his house, and I could go on and on talking about this all day. right? All right, you have that picture in your head? This is who's coming over for dinner? Okay. I have a quiz for you this morning. I think it's pretty easy. It's only two questions. All right, question number one. What do you do to prepare? A, sit in the living room watching TV while also staring at your phone at the same time. Or B, anticipate their arrival by busily preparing the house, cleaning up, and hiding all the mess. Who votes for option A? I know there's always at least one. Yes, I love the honesty. Uh, Option B, anybody? Oh, more. Okay, interesting. Question number two, what do you serve for dinner? Option A, a microwaved hot dog with a smushed bun on a paper plate, but you thought ahead and you cooked it earlier so it was ready in time, but it's cold now. Or option B, the fanciest, most elegant five-course meal you can dream up. You've been planning this menu for three weeks, giving yourself enough time to make everything. All right, option A, anybody? Yeah, there's a few of them, a few more, all right. Option B, more of us, interesting. So I realize a lot of you are like, I wouldn't have done either of those things. I'm somewhere in the middle. Yes, I realize these are two very vast extremes. But what's the point? The reality is when someone important is coming, we anticipate and we prepare for their arrival. Jesus is coming back someday. Are you anticipating his arrival? What are you doing in the meantime to prepare so that you're ready when he does return? And as we just talked about, we don't get ready by just sitting around doing nothing. Now, if I were to ask a random smattering of people, not even just in this room, but people out in the world, if I were to ask goals in life, things that they're working towards, I imagine I'd have a lot of people say things along the lines of, make money, live comfortably, make sure that my spouse and kids are all set up for life, make sure we don't have any needs, things along those lines. Many of us have spent our working days saving up in 401Ks, in IRAs, stocks, cryptocurrency, mattresses. It's all with the goal of being ready for retirement and having enough saved up so that I don't have to work anymore. And some of you guys are experiencing the fruits of those labors already. Kudos to you. I'm jealous. It sounds great. But what's the mindset? I have to be ready For when that day comes, that I'm prepared, I have enough stored up. Well, at a base level, one of the simple truths that Jesus is getting at in Mark chapter 13 is this. He says, everything on this earth and in this life is temporary. Just like that temple. The physical is temporary. Don't get too attached. It's not sticking around. It's not going, it's not staying, it's going away. When we get too caught up in conversations about What all of this means as we try to interpret prophecies and signs, we're wasting our time getting caught up in the wrong things. Ultimately, it really doesn't matter when or how exactly all that happens because the reality is still true that Jesus is coming back someday. And there are a lot of people in this world who don't know him. Earthly things may be temporary, but souls live on. And Jesus gave us very specific instructions about reaching this world. So what do we do about it? How do we get ready for his return? Well, two big ideas here. The first is this, store up treasure in heaven. Store up treasure in heaven. I love what Jesus says in his Sermon on the Mount earlier on from what we looked at earlier. He says this, he says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What does it mean to store up treasures in heaven rather than earthly treasures? Well, what are earthly treasures? It's those things that we treasure, those possessions, the cars, the houses, the money, the fame, the you name it. You know what it is for you. But the things of this earth, these earthly treasures, they're temporary. They don't last So what does it look like to store up treasure that does last? The things of eternity, the things of God. What lasts? People. No, not our bodies. Sooner or later they waste away too, right? We all die someday, but souls live on. We store up treasure in heaven by investing in people. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What do you treasure? Or where's your heart set is it set on Jesus, do you treasure Christ? Or are there other things that you find yourself treasuring more than him? It's such an important place to, be, to begin. I love what Paul tells the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians 4. He says, We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So what is it that we find ourselves fixing our eyes on? Are we storing up the earthly treasure, becoming consumed with those things? Are we storing up treasure in heaven? What are the things that we're missing because we don't see them? Or rather, who are the people that we're missing because we don't see them? Ask God to give you the eyes to see the world the way he sees them. Created in his image, loved by him, redeemed by his son on the cross. Ask him to give you the words to say and the love to show as you invest in them. This is not even as much about the treasure that I'm storing up in heaven for myself as much as it is about the heavenly treasure that I'm imparting to others here on earth. The gospel. And that's the second big piece of readiness, sharing the gospel. I once watched an episode of a TV show where the characters were putting on a wedding shower for their friend. And they were really excited. They came up with all these big plans. They furiously got everything together. They came up with the invite list. They got the decorations they decorated. They planned out the menu. They made the food. They got everything ready. The day the party came and nobody showed up. You know why? Because they forgot to send out the invites. Nobody showed up because nobody was invited to the party. One of the pictures that Jesus shares often about the kingdom of heaven was that of a banquet feast. If the father at the end of the age is throwing this big banquet feast, this celebration, but no one gets invited, no one's going to show up, obviously. I know that when that day comes, I will be a part of that feast and that celebration because I've placed my faith in Jesus and my salvation is found in him. And I know that I'll be there because somebody else invited me to the banquet. If I'm not out there inviting other people to that banquet to be a part of that celebration, then that means I'm not really ready for it. So what do we do? Well, let's look back at Mark chapter 13, verse 9. It says, You must be on your guard. You'll be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, You will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given you at the time. For it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. So what do we do? We share the gospel. We stand up and we speak up. The Holy Spirit is going to give us the words to say. And yes, we're promised persecution and hardships and difficulties, and no, that doesn't sound appealing or desirable. But when that day comes, when I have the choice to stand up for Jesus or deny him, what am I going to say? What am I going to do? As Christians, we often look at the world around us full of, Of chaos and evil, or we find ourselves in a difficult situation or a painful moment, we say, Jesus, come quickly. Like, just bring on heaven and eternity already. I don't want to deal with the sin and the pain and the evil and the brokenness of earth anymore. And I feel that. I get that. Jesus, come quickly. But I don't want him to come that quickly. Now, look, I can't wait for Jesus to come back and for us to be in heaven with him forever, experiencing eternity and life how he intended for it to be. Evil and sin done away with. But if Jesus came back tomorrow, there's still billions of people in this world who will spend an eternity in hell separated from God. Now, that doesn't make your heart hurt, it should. It's a really sad reality. Now, this doesn't mean that I don't look forward to his return because absolutely we anticipate that and we are excited for that because it is going to be awesome. It is going to be worth anticipating and worth celebrating. But how selfish is it of me to sit here in the midst of whatever I'm going through, which is real stuff, saying Jesus come quickly, but knowing that the sooner he returns the fewer people in this world will have had the opportunity to hear the gospel and to put their faith and their trust in him, to have a relationship with their creator. Shouldn't I want as many people as possible to have that opportunity to know him? Shouldn't I want to give them that opportunity? We know that's something that God desires. Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy 2, he says, This is good and pleases God, our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. This doesn't mean that everyone will choose to trust God. But there is something that we can do about it, that we play a part in giving people that opportunity and inviting them to that banquet. Matthew chapter 24 is Matthew's equivalent of Mark 13. We've looked at here today. And one of the things Jesus says in there is this. He says, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. So the gospel is going to be preached to all nations, and then the end will come. If you really want Jesus to come quickly, then how about we do our part in preaching the gospel to the nations, so then the end will come. As soon as all nations hear the gospel, Jesus will return So let's spread the gospel. Let's share about Jesus with all nations. Last week, we talked about the Great Commission, some of Jesus' final words, to go and make disciples of all nations. Here we see that phrase again as a testimony, preach the gospel to all nations. Well, the Greek word used there is the word ethnos. And if it sounds familiar, it should. It's where we get our word ethnic or ethnicities from. Preach the gospel to all ethnos, all ethnicities, all people groups all people groups, to hear the gospel. How are we doing on that, on reaching all nations, all ethnos? Well, there's an organization that you may or may not have heard of before called the Joshua Project. I encourage you to, to check them out more later. This is just a screenshot of their homepage and their website. The Joshua Project, and what they do is they track people groups. Now, a people group is defined as a group of people that has a set language and culture and social norm and way of life that's kind of unique to their people group. So there are 17,000 approximately people groups in the world. What they do is they specifically track reached and unreached people groups. A reached people group is a people group that has access to the gospel. Maybe they have the Bible in their language or dialect. Maybe they have the resources to spread, to proliferate the gospel throughout their people group. America's reached. Doesn't mean we all trust Jesus, but we're reached. Unreached people groups are people groups that don't have that. Maybe they don't have the Bible in their language. They don't have... Any, or they have very little Christian presence or influence. They don't have a way or the resources to spread the gospel throughout their people group. I know it's kind of hard to see, but there's about 17,000 people groups there and about 7,400 of them are unreached, accounting for about 3.3 billion people in the world. Almost half of our planet is unreached. They don't even have access to the gospel. They don't have the Bible in their language. They don't have people or resources to share the gospel with them. Now, there's a, a good friend of mine from college who I've known for many years who is a missionary in a large city in South Asia. And a few years ago, he uh, and his team actually had the opportunity to meet with this young woman who came to place her faith in Jesus. It was this really cool uh, experience with her and she was so excited to, to start her walk with God. Well, come to find out she was from an unreached people group. Her village, her hometown, her her people group is unreached. She may have been the very first Christian in her people group. And if not, she was close to it. And she was so excited to take what she had learned, to take the gospel back home to her village, to her people, to share about Jesus with them. She could reach them like none of the rest of us could. And that doesn't mean that we don't go. That means that we all have different parts to play. Some of us play that part right here right at home, some of us, God might be calling to go to the nations, to learn a language, a dialect, to help translate the Bible, whatever that looks like. We are called to reach all nations. Because when that great commission gets fulfilled to make disciples of all nations, when the gospel has been preached as a testimony to all nations, then sometimes Jesus is coming back. And it's going to be awesome. There's a man I've had the pleasure of watching speak a number of times over the years named uh, Roger Hershey, and no, he does not make chocolate. He is living out the Great Commission like few people I know, mostly investing in college students, and I want to share something that he wrote here with you today. He says, like a relay race with thousands of legs, the baton of world evangelism and discipleship has been passed from generation to generation, each one carrying forward the mission of making disciples of Jesus Christ in every nation. Some generations have taken the baton a great distance, others only inches, based on their obedience to Christ's command and reliance upon his spirit. Yet there will be one generation who will serve as the anchor leg, the one who will carry the baton across the finish line, the finishers. Roger believes that we, that our generation, I'm saying that broadly across multiple generations in this room, that our generation could be the one that finishes the Great Commission, that takes the gospel to all nations, to all ethnos around the world. And you know what? I think he's absolutely right. With the access to technology and social media and the resources that we have, why not? Why not be the finishers? I don't know when Jesus is coming back. Lots of people have tried to to calculate or to guess when he's going to be returning. And I can guarantee you with 100% certainty that any of those guesses are exactly when he won't come back. You know why? Because Jesus says that himself. He says, no one knows about that day or hour. The Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. So be ready. So what does readiness look like? Well, as I anticipate the return of Jesus... I store up treasure in heaven by investing in others, growing deeper in relationship with them. I share the gospel with people from all nations, whatever that looks like, however God calls you in that, to give them the opportunity to know him so that they too can be a part of eternity in heaven with Jesus. I keep going after people as relentlessly as I can in his strength to develop relationships with them, to share the love of Jesus with them. I'm spending time growing deeper in my relationship with Jesus so that I recognize his voice, that I'm listening for him. And I'm watching for him. I'm standing on guard against deception, temptation, standing firm in his strength, standing on the truth. Because we don't know when he's coming back. But we want to be watching for him. We want to be ready. We will know him when we see him. And I want to be standing there on that day, knowing that all I did all I could to give just one more person the opportunity to know him and to be a part of his kingdom. The end is in sight. What are you doing until we get there? Will you recognize Jesus? And Are you ready for his return? Let's pray. God, thank you for the promise that we have in you. Lord, not just that our sins are forgiven by our faith and through your grace, through your death on that cross and resurrection from the grave. Lord, but that we know one day sin and evil will be completely done away with for all eternity. Lord, we long for the day we look forward to that, to your coming. Jesus, we cannot wait for that banquet feast, for that opportunity to be in perfect relationship with you, how we were intended to be. And yet here we find ourselves, Father, in a world that is full of so much evil, so much sin. Lord, I pray that you would give us the strength to stand firm in the truth of who you are. That you would give us ears to hear the truth, to stand on that, to speak the truth. Lord, that we would be listening for you, that we would see you at work, that we would recognize you at work. Father, I pray that you would help us as we get ready for that return whenever that is, to do our part, storing up treasure in heaven, that we would invest in the people around us, whoever that is, wherever you call us to be. Lord, that we would share the gospel with whoever that is, wherever you call us to be, that we would speak to the truth of who you are and what you've done in our lives what you've done for them. Lord, we look forward to that day. We know the end is in sight. Help us each to step out in faith to play our part, to be ready for your return. Father, you are awesome and mighty. and We give you praise this day. It's in your name we pray. Amen. <laughs>